Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. This week on The Kindness Project, we talk about sleep patterns, mental health, and we have part two of our interview with Oliver Smith from CityWire. Welcome everybody to another edition of The Kindness Project. I am joined by Kel, who's a little bit snotty, it's Charlotte Dames. <laughs> oh no! You know that feeling when you've got a bit of a cold and all you think is, oh. No, I think my, that's where you are, my isn't worst it? day was yesterday, and like everything was blocked. And I went <laughs> to sleep. Yeah, but now you're feeling a little bit better. And I did sleep for about. I slept for two hours, and then I slept for four hours, six hours. So. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm a little bit better. I can breathe properly now. Good. Well, that's always good. If you can breathe, you're uh, you're on the right track. Um, and who are you to join by Christ? I, I, you know what? That is starting off quite with quite high energy. I passed on to Charlotte. She was like, oh, I only slept for two hours. I slept for six hours. I slept for two hours and then four hours. Anyway. I slept for two hours and then I woke up because my nose was running. <laughs> And who are you, Joe? By Charlotte. I'm joined by a man <laughs> who seems to have two drinks this morning instead of one. It's Chris Day. I am. I, I'm on the. It's a Sunday morning when we're recording this, so I'm on the OJ, um, and I'm on the coffee. And we're joined by a super special guest. A man who seems to be wearing his dad's clothes. It's um, <laughs> it's Russell Dames. How you doing, Russ? I'm fine, thank you. Little early many... this morning, but it is a bit early. But we, we could. Only, that's the only time we're all available, isn't it? Hey. So what? Um, let's talk a bit of sleep, okay? I typically get oh, probably oh probably about seven hours a night. How about you, Russ? I'm probably on four to six. Four to six, oh, yeah, yeah, roughly. Does that do? Do, do you get a, a nap in during the day? No, not now. Now I'm now I'm working. I don't, but I I used to. See, I, there's different perspectives on sleep because I think it was I don't know. I think it was like a big political leader like Thatcher or something like that who actually survived on like four to five hours of sleep a night. I don't know whether I could do that. I need a proper night's sleep. I think it depends, because I've just got used to that pattern now. Yeah, yeah. When when I first started working, by three o'clock, I would add like a light. But now I've got used to that pattern, that cycle of I'll work and then sort of have a couple of hours telly, then sleep. Yeah, how about you, Charlotte? Have you always like um, normal, normal? I mean, having a two hour sleep and then a four hour sleep is probably no, not the way it's to go. Isn't it? Somewhere between four to six in, uninterrupted. Um, but like, I have a hard time getting to sleep. Yeah. And I wake up early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm waking up at 5 a.m. And because of how I struggle to sleep, I'm falling asleep about midnight. Yeah. Like, I'll so lay in bed five for hours. four hours because yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, you know what? I find that um, if I have a really good exercise the night before... I, I can I can sleep so so yeah um, but I I mean I'm saying I need seven hours sleep a night 
I could have seven hours sleep a night and a power nap. Um, and I um, and a two-hour sleep on top. I mean, I love a bit of sleep, mate. Yeah, it's really good. Anyway, um, unofficial question of the podcast is, how's you sleeping? Well, what, like, right in, tell us what sort of, what sort of sleep patterns you, uh, you have. We're talking about, like, seven or, like, four to seven being like, oh, yeah, this is, this is completely normal. The average, not average, um amount of sleep adults get it's average amount of sleep that adults should get is eight hours but well, i just never well i think eight hours is the um is the what they say that your body needs but i think everybody like sort of sleeps differently and there's a thing there's a, i read an amazing book on sleep a few years ago and it talks about and i can't remember sort of um the the specifics on it it talks about the circadian rhythm and the fact that every i think every 90 minutes is when you go through a full cycle of sleep yeah and as long as you like your sort of the amount of time you sleep you don't wake up at the wrong time and it interrupts your circadian rhythm actually you'll be all right um it doesn't apply to if you're driving a crane and you have uh, an hour and a half sleep though you probably need a bit more than that um, other other dangerous Red jobs are available. What? Or at least four Red Bulls. <laughs> I'm saying that. I've seen people drink monsters and then take a nap. What? Yeah. Yeah, but that's because the energy drink doesn't kick in, is it? It doesn't kick in immediately. Yeah, when I say monsters, I mean monsters plural. How many monsters? I think it was like three. <laughs> was one of them Sully out of Monsters Inc.? <laughs> no, it was Mike Wazowski. Can we, uh, can, we, can we just confirm, please, just very quickly, we are not advocating having an hour and a half sleep, <laughs> drinking four Red Bulls, and driving a crane, all right? Well, that is not what we want to do. Um, the um, the My co-partner in crime, Charlotte, isn't advocating um, any sort of dangerous um, mechanical activity after an hour and a half sleep. Please, please don't put me behind a crane at one and a half hours sleep. I don't want to well, hurt anyone. You know, you know what? It's weird. We were talking the other day um, on, on a previous podcast about jobs that we really... Uh, wouldn't want to do. Fisherman. I, sorry? Fisherman. Fisherman? Yeah. That's a weird one. I don't think you said that, though, sorry. I said I don't want to do anything on a boat. Fisherman's included, but also their early hours would kill me. Yeah. I don't like sleeping during the day. Yeah. Um, but I think crane driver might be on my list. Because um, that, like the height you've got to climb. To, and the thing is, if you get something wrong as a crane driver, you're like, you're the built, like, sort of, the, the, the stakes are too high for me. But um, I suppose I suppose there's way learn, ways of learning to be a safe crane driver. I'm just not going to move it as the time. And on that note, uh, what I want to do is talk about um, today's question of the podcast, which is, what's your favourite pun? And you can get in touch with us in the following ways. Oh, me. Hi, yes. <laughs> Sorry, if you had four Red Bulls in an hour and a half sleep. <laughs> no, no. Otherwise, I wouldn't be driving this, <laughs> this, this, this crane. This podcast crane. I think this podcast crane's just crashed into I the was, building. I was going to make a pun uh, about crane wrecks, but yeah. Crane wrecks, not bad. Not bad. Um, Twitter. Um, don't, at... don't make annoying puns because you, you'll be a crane in my neck. Is that. Crane puns? No, we're not going for crane puns. I already have that. Yeah, what would you like, Russ? Crane in my neck. I know. I, like I know. That. Yeah. I was, I, 
I was talking, funny enough, we had people around uh, last night, and I was talking to somebody. I reckon as soon as you become a dad, right, there's something that clicks on that means that you are just full of bad dad jokes and puns. Do you know what I mean? As soon as you, I never used to be so, so into puns until I became a dad. Yeah, but I'm into puns and I'm not a dad. Are you sure? <laughs> no! No! I'm not a dad. All right. So, um, you got any crane puns before we move on, Russ? Move on, you interrupted my no, social media plugging. No crane puns. All right. Do, you, do the social media bit. Okay. On Twitter, we're at Ola Kindness. It should come up if you type that in. On Facebook, if you just type the Kindness Project into the search bar, it should come up. And if not, why not? Um, same with Google. Uh, if you type www.thekindnessproject.co.uk, we should come up there as well. And um, we have an email, which is honor at thekindnessproject.co.uk. Do we have any other social media? We have Instagram, but we're really not. No, we're not we're good really at Instagram. Not any, any of those channels, you can you can get in touch. And all we want to know this week is, uh, what's your favourite pun? You know, you can make a pun about anything. Uh, and to prove it, Russell is going to pick a subject, and Charlotte's going to give him a pun. I Go on, then. Russell, what's the subject? Eyeballs. Corneas. Corneas. Be specific for a pun. I'll forget. Corneas. I say a good image. Oh, no, no, that's too hard. Why don't you do the lower pancreas? Like, well, <laughs> well, try it. Rough. I, I see a good image yesterday on Facebook. So oh, it wow. was big eyeballs, loads of small eyeballs, and the big eyeballs said, good morning, class. And the... Uh, the class said, good morning, Miss Iris. And at the bottom, it said, that's a bit cool now. Oh, oh, God. that was. I wonder where that was going. I thought you were playing catchphrase with us. Oh, no. we, were trying to, we were trying to do it. Anyway, uh, ladies and gents, you can definitely do better than that. So, um, so please write in with your um, your favourite pun. We'd love to hear it. Um, and on that note, shall we crack on the show? Let's do it. Cool. So, um, guess what, Charlotte? Guess what's back after so, so long? Kindness news. Kindness news. And that means that on the week that you've got a bit of a cold... I was debating the thing, and then my, my throat said, no, no. My telling me no. Um, <laughs> you've got to do the kindness news. Uh, a bit more of a shorter kindness news um, uh, theme, but you've got to do it. Off you go. Well, mate. <laughs> Kindness news. <laughs> Kindness news. <laughs> you can hear the um, uh, anyway, first one is um, uh, from the BBC. Uh, Coventry disabled girl's favourite toy replaced by strangers. A disabled teenager has been sent replacements of her favourite toy from strangers around the world after hers began to break. Josie Will posted a message, message on Twitter asking for help finding a specific model of the toy which her Rosie had loved since her second birthday. They're no longer made, and we're running out of ones that were interested in the post. Miss Will described the response as both heartwarming and overwhelming. Her sister Rosie has profound and multiple learning disabilities and would be really excited to see the new toys. A VTech light-up learning bug, VTech. You had, you had a bunch of them when you were a kid, didn't you? I think so. Uh, and stopped being sold by a company nearly a decade ago. Uh, right. 
Rose's current work in Ladybug broke yesterday. So in the effort to fix one of uh, our broken 15, we thought we'd give social media a go. We never expected the response to be so huge, said Rose's sister. It's really heartwarming that so many people are so determined to help, even though they know nothing about Rosie, and out of the goodness of their heart, they just want to help. She said 15 replay replacements had so far been promised but people were still coming forward so i'm presuming it's going to be closer to 30 we're going to receive people had offered also offered to fix the broken toys after they began to break after so much usage uh, lorraine will the girl's mother said josie and her sister have the strongest bond and josie will do anything to make sure that rosie is the happiest girl ever I couldn't be more proud of her. But i tell you what else that shows to me and, and illustrates yet again. Um, uh, most people are good, aren't they? Most people will help if they can. Um, so great, great work. The second story of today is uh, Northumberland Samaritan overcomes stammer to help others. A childhood stammer left Lisa Nealon afraid to speak. But now she's using her voice to help other people who are struggling. From the age of eight, a really bad stammer meant Lisa Nealon had a fear of speaking. Now, the 44-year-old from Widrington, Northumberland, is a Samaritan's volunteer and regularly speaks to people who call the charities helpline. Volunteer listeners like Lisa have provided emotional support to more than 2.3 million times since uh, March 2020. I mean, I think the Samaritans, in terms of, you know, you know, Today's interviewee, we've got um, the second part of Ollie's interview, and we're going to be talking quite a lot about mental health. Having a service like the Samaritans, where somebody's at the end of the line and, and is available to speak to anybody whenever they need to, is so important, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, I, I know the Samaritans do amazing work. Um, uh, so volunteer listeners like Lisa have provided emotional support more than 2.3 million times since March 2020, where coronavirus restrictions were first introduced in the UK. I had help from the McGuire programme, which is a speech therapy programme in 2015. She said, one of the things I really wanted to do, once I've gained control, was to do something really worthwhile with my voice. Now I've got control of it. That makes sense. I couldn't think of any better way to use my voice than to become a Samaritan. Well, um, uh, well done, Lisa. Amazing work. Um, thank you to your contribution. And I, I love the fact that you've given back um, uh, when you've helped. Do you think, um, Ryerson and Charlotte, that um, being helped, then um, if, 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 you, if you're in the right mindset, then means that you want to help others? What do you think? I think you're right. All the help I've been given, it makes me more compelled to... Uh... To want to help other people yeah what do you think Charlie? yeah i definitely agree with that yeah the, if someone helps you you're more more likely to want to pay and, it forward and that's that's why i, I think we could all do with being a bit more kind because it, it is a virtuous circle, isn't it? You know, people, if people were helping more, then we're going to make the world just a little bit, you know, it's never going to be perfect, a little bit more of a kind of place. Yeah. And on that note, should we uh, get to part two of our interview uh, with Ollie Smith? Now, we started our conversation with Ollie last week. Um, Ollie uh, is a friend of mine amazing guy um you're a fan aren't you charlotte yeah. tell, tell us about your experiences with ollie you've got, oh god, oh god. Oh god. Oh god. Uh, 
Yeah, he's a decent bloke. You've caught me off guard. Tell me about your experiences in Mali, expecting you to go, yeah, he's amazing. He is amazing. He's a decent bloke. <laughs> he's a he is a decent, decent bloke. bloke. He is a decent bloke. Um, and um, Ollie, um, uh, Ollie is somebody who does a lot of work around <laughs> making sure we have more open and honest conversations around mental health, which I think is so important. So in this part of our interview, we continue the conversation about um, the importance of being open and honest about mental health, some of the challenges that we've all faced um, and why, um, if you're struggling, it's important to speak out. Conversations with people about mental health. Is there an assumption that now you're better and now it's not an issue anymore? Or is that is that something that people get? I wouldn't say so. Um, <laughs> it's really interesting, you know, speaking to people, particularly of my age, because I think... And I wouldn't cast any aspersions about, you know, categories of people at all. But one thing I've just noticed is that some people get it and some people don't. You know, there's yeah. there's kind of an there's kind of a you know there's a, an unwritten language almost an, an informal language where, you know, when you say something like I'm having a really tough time, people who don't even need to know you who have empathy for that, they just know. One thing I would say too is. You know, I was talking with a, a, a relatively new colleague in the, in the pub, actually, which is a new thing again for me um, <laughs> after the pandemic. Being back in the pub. Back I mean, pub. I've, I've missed that. It's Unbelievable. Been... I mean, what a, what a brilliant thing for our well-being to be able to be with people. <laughs> um, just to plug that. Um, but I was saying, you know, about some of the work that we've done at CityWire and, you know, the awards and stuff. And without i don't mean this to sound um you know arrogant at all but she was gobsmacked that there was that level of openness in any conversation about it and my response to that was you know look i've got nothing left to lose yeah you know, i've literally you know i mental health has wrecked my several of my family relationships you know it's it's caused me periods of really really deep loathing and despair it's um you know on a day-to-day -day basis it does give you problems with going to work sometimes it's hard to get out of bed sometimes you need time off i had some time off this year um so i in my opinion i i don't have anything more to lose really um i've lost a lot already as a result of it and you know the the, the climbing back up the hill bit is in some ways easier to me because it's just about doing whatever I can to make good on that that negative or those negative periods in my life. I, I mean, I think I would say in comparison to, to certain other people who may be um, at a different point in their journey and they feel less comfortable talking to people anyway, um, I'm, I'm probably more open about it on average, you know, because of who I am. I'm a bit yeah. more of a people person. Uh, you know, everyone's different. Uh, I think that does give me a bit of a leg up. And it's, you know, it's. I was saying this to um, to Gretchen and Olivia, who were running their, you know, their their um, diversity podcast on financial services, is that that itself creates a bit of a quandary for me because I know that I find it very easy to be the loudest person in the room. Okay. And um, you know, incredibly easy. And that's a dilemma because. You know, having people in the room that are even willing to talk about this stuff is so, so important, uh, you know, when it comes to well-being. We're, we have a conversation, but there just aren't enough people. 
being open about willing it. to do it yeah, yeah. no I, I, I completely get that and i think sometimes you know and I, i'm i'm guilty of wanting to be the loudest person in the room often as well Wally. but i think one thing doing this podcast has taught me is is just what you learn if you just listen really well you know yeah. you know just that you know yeah, you know, help me understand so I can learn and be better. You know, it's just such a, such a, such a, such a uh, sort of been such a game change for me. I suppose, I suppose the interesting thing uh, about that, and again, uh, as normal with this podcast, I've sent you a set of questions, and because you're, you know, give me so much interesting stuff, I'm going to go off on a tangent again. Um, uh, but the, I, I suppose the interesting thing is that element of the impact on your relationships. Now, was that was that because you've you you felt that you behaved in a different way because of the mental health challenges you're going through or was it because um you didn't feel comfortable talking about some of those mental health challenges what would you know what what, what was the catalyst and the impact on those relationships it, it was definitely it was definitely a combination of both of those things but there was a third thing which is simply a lack of understanding and um you, you know this this is a one of the toughest things I see in people who are perhaps at a different point in their journey with their mental yeah. health is the self-awareness. Yeah. And I think, you know, if there if there's one moment that I could pick, pick out from that era of even my relationships really suffering, it's the, it's the therapy sessions I did in London at the end of 2017. So, you know, for context, I'd been incredibly ill, I think, which you know, Chris, you know, I'd yeah. had these really, really serious illnesses and it had left me with... Uh, in theory, a really good bit of time off a year to sort of collect myself and Citywide have been really, really supportive about that. But it went really drastically wrong. And at the end of that year, I found myself, you know, back in the UK, been living abroad with my family and it had all gone wrong. And I was back in the UK, sort of trying to pick up the pieces. And the most painful part of that was learning the self-awareness about what had gone wrong and why. And I found it so difficult and it, it almost ruined me. Like, I, I can't underplay that enough. You know, I was so self-conscious about what other people thought about me. And I wanted to control that so much because I was so scared of my own, of the existence, my own failings, um, which is not to say it was all my fault. But, you know, you take responsibility for the stuff that's yours. And, um, yeah, I, I just... I found it very, very difficult to confront the idea that I was actually trying to control this stuff too much and that I actually needed to let go a little bit, confront some of the things I'd done wrong, you know, confront the fact that I had some really bad and negative thoughts inside me that, yeah. you know, didn't do me proud. They didn't do yeah. me ju justice as a person. Um, and that was probably the most significant hurdle I had to to, to cross I mean it, it wasn't easy at all I lost my therapist in the process because I couldn't handle it and you know I got back on the road in 2019 and you know that's been a much more consistent journey for me and I felt much more comfortable just saying in private and opening up you know this is why I behave the way I do this is this is why I react to these situations the way I do these are my insecurities these are these are things that have happened in my past that mean that I don't quite handle certain things as appropriately or as professionally yeah. as I should or whatever it is. So I think, you know, it is a combination of those two things. But the third thing is self-awareness and learning self-awareness. I mean, that is a lifelong thing. You know, I'd, the only thing I can comfort myself with on that journey is just, you know, some people don't get it ever. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that have made any progress. I mean, there's a couple of really interesting things. I suppose number one is, you know, I suppose talking with uh, other people who are, you know, close to me, family members about mental health, you know, the generation above, so I'm 43, but the generation above have always been told don't talk about this stuff mm. and there's people i know who i've known you know all of my life um who who it's taken you know I, i've had conversations with, with guys in their sort of 60s and 70s about mental health mm. and it's taken 40 years to get to a point where they've said i've i've struggled all my life um uh so it's interesting how sometimes that you know that's part of those challenges for the older generation is if you're told for the first 30 years of your life don't talk about this stuff man up you know do all this sort of um this sort of um keeping quiet stuff mm. um it has a longer term impact don't you you, you don't yeah it's, an in, it's so interesting but i suppose part of the thing that is beneficial is having open conversations and have you found that since doing that more people have spoken to you about um, their own mental health um, and and the things that might help them I, I absolutely have um, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been you know it's been really really revelatory actually and to listen to people which I try and do I don't get it right all the time you know but um I try and listen consciously to that stuff. I think one thing that I've really detected is, and this, this I think relates to the point about having the infrastructure and some substance, is that you know when you get to you know when you get to age fifty. I mean, Chris, you don't look a day over thirty-two. I may say so, um, but. The light is really good in this room, Ollie. <laughs> the light is really good. I've intentionally done it, and I don't think I've got my filter on, but, yeah, I'll, uh, I, 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 I'll take that, Ollie, even if it is a blatant lie. You know, that's fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll still take the compliment. Thank Certain you. Certain truths have to be absorbed. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you, let's, for the sake of argument, say you, you don't get to the age of 50 without going through some really significant stuff in your life. And you know for for some people it happens really early on yeah and you know i i can think of sort of you know guys in their 40s and 50s that i know who they go through that classic trajectory that we see in society now of you know their elderly parents are, are really sick and ill and it's a challenge and they've got kids in uni and and their lives are busy and really really stressful and there's a lot there to cope with and they might not have the coping strategies to recognize um, how it's affecting them. There are a lot of people I've spoken to because of my age for whom the trauma, and let's call it that, has occurred in their teens and in their early 20s. You know, um, I would say I'm probably one of them at the, you know, the less damaging end of the spectrum, certainly. But yeah, probably one of them. If you lose a parent when you're 12, if you uh, come from a family where there are really, really significant issues with addiction or abandonment, you know, you go through some really, really difficult things early on in your life that change your life forever. And I think that is, um, that's something that I really try and promote in the conversation about this is that it's it really important to say to people to be open, 
Yeah. But there has to be some meat on the bone there. It can't just be about memes on Facebook saying, you know, it's okay, it's okay to not be okay, and yeah. and how woolly that is. There has to be some system to help people deal with really, really significant, tragic, and and damaging events in their lives. And you know, the people that the people that I've met with much, much more significant problems than than me. I would say in large part, unfortunately, to some degree, have been abandoned either by the people that they trusted or the, the system, to call it that. And and that's the biggest shame because when people open up to you about that, you realise that, you know, life isn't rosy. Things go really mm. dreadfully, dreadfully wrong. And by the time you get to age 50, you've probably encountered not one or two of those events, but probably three, four or five. You know, you've had critical illness or something, you've you know, been through a really awful divorce, something broken down in your family, you child's passed away or something like that so there has to be a system for handling with you know the really serious stuff that we go through as, as human beings and for understanding the inevitable impact that that has on our well-being i suppose the other the other thing that was really interesting that you pointed out and it helps my mental health actually because there's a couple of things that i do and i'm i'm sort of interested in in sort of what you do to help manage and maintain a sort of uh, positive mental health but one of the things for me is um uh, stoicism so i i i um i've got a couple of sort of books about stoicism that i read pretty consistently because i need the reminder like what at least once a week um, and it's so simple, and it should it should it should be in my head, Ollie, that I, I that I don't forget this. But rereading it helps me focus on the bits of your life that you can actually control and worry less about the bits. And it's like I need to remind that voice in my head that mm. that's the case. And actually, sort of stoicism helps me with that. And it's something you've sort of alluded to in terms of um, in terms of um, you know, looking at the elements of your life you can control and some of the elements that you can't, and potentially worrying less about the, the ones that you can't. But um, in terms of the techniques and strategies you use to support you having more positive mental health, and I get that, you know, there's periods of time where we we all struggle regardless of, um, regardless of how much we try. Mm. Help me understand what you do to sort of maintain a, a, a more positive mental health i absolutely try and remain a stoic as i can and i think actually there's a huge self-coaching thing there around resilience yeah and um i i'm sometimes wary of promoting it because i do think you know the collective should do more for all of us as a, yeah. a you know as a body but you know resilience is really really important and that's one of the challenges i think with young people in mental health is that because they haven't had the life experience you know they they're learning as they go along naturally yeah. Um, and resilience has been a, a huge journey for me. So, I, I this wouldn't work with other people. I'm not saying this is the solution for everyone, but I have to remind myself a lot of the time that I can take it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that I can take it. I think I naturally underestimate what I'm capable of uh, because of fear. Um, and you know, best example I can give of, give of that was a parachute jump I did a few a few weeks ago, and. Um, you know, being the kind of heady, impulsive type, I'd signed up for that thinking, yeah, no problem. You know, I just want to do it. I know it's going to be really, really scary, but I need to face that and get on with it. And I want to be able to say at the end of the day that I've 
that have faced that. And then, yeah. you know, two and a half years later, because of the pandemic, you're sat on the edge of an aircraft, uh, you know, with wind rushing past your face, face and you're thinking, oh, my God, you know, this, is a, little bit, this is a little bit different from what I thought it would be. And um, it, there's a huge stoicism thing there about resilience and about saying, I can take this. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I think possibly now having had you know having had this a, certainly a period of dramatically underestimating what i was capable of and capable of coping capable of understanding in myself i now have a decent reserve so you know i now have quite a lot of resilience for so stressful there's a, there, situations there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a topic there that i want to explore um but let me just share with you my skydiving experience so i i was at, i was at a sort of business event um and somebody somebody from a charity came up to me um and i was about three beers in ollie never a good time to make decisions because yeah. you're sober yeah, enough to say Look, <laughs> you know what I, i've got no excuse to get out of this but mm. you're feeling a bit more you know i can like I'm, I'm okay i can i can take on this sort of stuff so okay. i said yes um the charity announced no i said yes um the guy who's running the event a guy called ted David, who runs the charity, spoke to him and said, you're never going to believe this. Chris has just said yes to a skydive. He's announced it to 200 people. So there's no getting away from it now. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm done. Um, and then, um, so this was back in 2019. Um, I, uh, I, I, I sort of went and did it. And it, it was on the south coast somewhere. But the weird thing is, for me, it was actually quite... Cause, did you do a tandem? Yeah. So yeah, I did a tandem, and it, there was a bit of a like absolution of responsibility because the guy I was connected to knew what he was doing, and yeah. and and there was that element where um, if it was me sitting on the edge of that plane on my own, I just never would have gone. <laughs> I totally agree, and I thought about that a lot in the aftermath, actually, and it's what it's it's made me ask the question could i do this on my own and so yeah. you know when i mentioned go ape actually there was a moment where we were at, on the treetops between two platforms and there was a cable between you know a really sturdy cable between two platforms that you can do you know you can do a bit of a tightrope thing with yeah, your, yeah, yeah. your trolley on the on the cable above we jumped it right my colleague was like jump it yeah, 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 and, yeah, and that was probably scarier actually because you have to do it yourself. Yeah, it, so it was a really significant moment for me where yeah, you, yeah. you know, you're like I don't know how far up in the air, like eighty feet or something, hundred yeah, feet, yeah. something like yeah. that, and you jump off. It's like whoa! But but, but, there, but there's also that element of 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 as you say, building res resilience by doing stuff that might scare you a bit, isn't there? Um, um, but, but yeah, the weird the weird thing was, um, I um, so I got to the bottom, and the guy, the guy who was just behind me that was coming down, who was raising money for charity, I I hadn't met him yet, and that, his podcast interview was the following week, so he was on the podcast, and we met. <laughs> because we both fell out of the plane at the same time. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a funny old small world. Um, but yeah, but I, I suppose the other the other factor there is that support from others you've has been consistent in our conversation today in terms of having yeah. somebody to talk to yeah. about some of those mental health challenges. Some support from others has been massive. Yeah, talk to me a bit about that. Um, well, I think... I think there was definitely a moment where... I had to confront 
that I needed help. And I think um, being a high achieving white middle class guy, that was difficult, you know, boo-hoo. Um, really difficult. I think it concerns me that, you know, we we perhaps try and do the resilience piece too early with young people before, you know, the conversation about this is going to be tough, so you're going to need to reach out for help sometimes. Actually, that's just as important an ability. You know, I, I think often the biggest step in my struggles is to say, stick your hand in the air and say I'm struggling, and without that, nothing happens. Yeah, okay, and, so, and, you know. and, and I suppose that's the reality of it. Is it, It's not, you know, I, I, think, I think you're right. With, like, the conversation about resilience doesn't mean we're advocating resilience as the only solution. You know, Absolutely. we all need people to help us every now and again and putting your hand up is so important and that you know and, and this comes on to the point about you know kindness and the kindness podcast and what you know what my personal understanding of kindness is chris and i i think i was sort of designing this tedx talk in my head for kids about kindness and you know what is kindness and the kindness that we teach in ki- in schools is quite biblical isn't it it's quite kind of the good samaritan and yeah. but, but there isn't really that the the depth of explanation about the implications of kindness and as far as i understand it in my life people being kind to me and supporting me you know be it my family or my brother who i have a very close relationship with as a result of you know my various mental health struggles you know is inconvenient right if you're kind to someone with mental health problems you know sure they're going to need to be boundaries and stuff but you're going to be inconvenienced by it you're going to have to leave work late you're going to have to stay behind you might even have to buy them their prescription at the chemists you you know it involves a degree of inconvenience and it's not as simple as to say just be kind which is what the t-shirts to matalan and next yeah, all have emblazoned yeah, yeah. on them yeah. you know That's it's just a not that superficial simple. message of kindness isn't it's completely it? you know, yeah, yeah yeah the practicalities of kindness are so much more complex and my friend texted me the other day and and was very open about the fact that he's going through you know among the worst patches that he's had you know he's really really stressed burnt out from work and you know he was clearly at a really really low ebb and he he, like me at times expressed this sort of almost horror that his boss had had to shoulder some of the consequences of that because he wasn't able to work and needed to take some time out and the sheer fear there of people feeling like failures and having to throw in the towel at least for a break and um you know the potential consequences of that in terms of your reputation at work or among your you know your friends but then, but, family. But then, so that was part two of the interview what did you what did you think of that yeah it was good good uh, uh are you too snorty to do no, the, I can to do this is my favorite bit go on then. Uh, <laughs> But the end is never really the end because the end is always the beginning of something entirely new. Entirely new. Um, <laughs> oh. It is entirely new. And last week's question of the podcast, which you actually missed because you were working, I think you were sitting in the background listening in. I and was, involved, really. but I did manage to hit a thousand words of my English essay that day. Well done. So, so much. Um, the the question. <laughs> you know what? I've got to go out for a, a marathon training run today. And it's 14 miles. And I'm thinking that is quite a long way for one man to just plod around. I'll get there. I'll get there. Anyway, 
last week's question of the podcast is what's your favourite Spice Girl name? Wrong answers only. What would you pick? I think we've had this discussion because we had it at the dinner table at the place with the pointless sword game. But we we didn't have it on a on a podcast. Oh, um, chicken spice. Chicken spice. Right. Okay. We're going to crack on with the answers. Um, John Cook said flatulent spice. Uh, Jackie Lahane said old spice. Uh, Francis Barrett just went a bit. Uh, sort of off off Pilton and went paprika. Um, Robert King it went Old Spice for men. Um, <laughs> Caroline Thompson went Rough Spice. Serena Davies said Garlic Spice. Catherine Knowles said Flatulent Spice again. Uh, Matthew Wilms said Sensible Spice. Um, Dominic T- Thomas said Sugar Ant, which I don't understand to be honest. And Karina Murray said. Colonel Mustard. Um, <laughs> Why are the Spice Girls called the Spice Girls not something really clever like Five Spice? There used to be a band called Five Star, funny enough. They were, they were quite But good. there is a Spice called Five Spice. Um, Why are they not just called... All Spice. All, All Spice. spice. Um, but I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one that I want to do now after the last um, uh, Colonel Mustard. And it might be next week's after we've done Pums. Next week's question of the podcast. Um, what's your favourite Cluedo character? Wrong That's answers great. only. Oh. No, wrong answers <laughs> only. Um, I'm going to go for um, yeah. Private Talk Boys. What are you going to go for? <laughs> Little Miss Cyan. <laughs> Little Miss Cyan. What are you going to go for, Raz? The hooker in the library. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't think you get the... And on that note, my friend, I think we need need to end this now. Have a lovely week. We'll see you next time on the Kindness Project. Bye. Bye.